together. I said this in our morning services. Other than Christmas morning and Easter morning, I'm pretty sure Daylight Savings morning is my favorite Sunday morning of the year. Um, anybody else relate to that? Hey, I want to say thank you to those of you who helped out with the Veritas form and showed up to that event on Tuesday night. Uh, I really appreciate you all and your efforts in making that ministry event happen. It was super encouraging to be there and just see all of your hard work come together. And I believe that event is able to reach our campus in a really meaningful and unique way. And so it's so fun for me to be able to partner with other campus ministries like Crew, Chi Alpha, um, RUF, uh, who else am I forgetting? There are a lot of us who are in it together. Them, SAIU. And uh, what a meaningful event that was. I really appreciate you all and your help. Um, this reason, the reason we chose the topic this year is science enough, is we really wanted to get the conversation down to the nitty gritty of what life is really about. We didn't want it to just be a display of philosophical jousting. We wanted to talk about things that students would feel like were really meaningful and important, uh, things that were practical for them in their life, and really address the questions they were wrestling with. And um, man, I feel like that turned out really well. We had some great panelists, and so I'm just really thankful for that. But another hope of ours is that some meaningful conversations would result from the debate, uh, pardon me, the dialogue, for you all, and the conversations you're able to have afterwards. Uh, it's always a slip up that we have, calling it a debate and not a dialogue. But I hope you had some meaningful conversations about some of the things that people addressed. And uh, there, are so many, there are so many unique questions that people can walk out of that event with. Things dealing with the meaning of life, the question of suffering. Um, the existence of evil, where we get morality from. There are a lot of questions, but tonight I want to talk about a question that's something that I really wrestled with when I was in college, and I imagine a lot of you have thought about this one as well. The question is this, it's where can we find fulfillment in life? Um, where can we find fulfillment? And so starting off, I want to say that we all can find fulfillment in life in a lot of things, really. Um, at a micro level, I find a tall, dark roast coffee at Starbucks ridiculously fulfilling. Um, that really does it for me. Or maybe a good run on a crisp fall morning. Um, some of you, that might sound like the worst torture you can imagine. Um, but I enjoy that for some reason. Uh, how about the feeling of completing a project that you've worked on for a really long time? Uh, the feeling of having that behind you. Um, man, for as much as I love Veritas Forum, I got that feeling right now when I think about it. It's like, yes, that was great. I'm so glad it's over, too. <laughs> um, I know I'm not alone in that. Alex was one of our uh, outreach guys. I see him nodding very knowingly over here. Um, but those feelings, those feelings of blessing and everyday things of life, that's something that we can think about as common grace, God's common grace. This is an aspect of theology you may have heard of. What we're talking about is the blessing of God, experiencing his goodness in some of the things of everyday life over creation. Um, even if people don't have that special knowledge of God's redeeming grace in Jesus Christ, we all can experience God's common grace through the goodness in creation. Um, and so we find fulfillment in common grace at a micro level all over the place. But what I really want to get down to tonight is thinking about um, where is fulfillment in life found at that kind of macro level? What does it mean for us to find fulfillment in our lives themselves? That feeling of my life is complete, it is what it is supposed to be. Let me share a story with you. 
before my wife and I were married, she had not had much experience in cooking, and so she wanted to grow in her repertoire of things she could make, knowing that uh, when we got married, she would be cooking a lot more frequently unless she wanted to eat pancakes for every meal, because that's the one thing I can make. Uh, yes. And so one night I traveled to where her family lived and I had dinner and Brittany had made us this Mexican dinner and one thing she was really excited about was this raspberry bean dip. And uh, it was like this black bean dip and we tried it and uh, it was like, it was overpowering the amount of raspberry in this bean dip. Two things that you just don't expect to mix together and it turned out what had happened was instead of putting just one tablespoon of raspberry jam in the bean dip, she put a cup. And uh, so it was like, boom, raspberry, in your face. And uh, she's like, how do you like it? I was like, this is great. And, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> but I share that story to say, man, my wife has progressed so far. Um, she is an amazing cook, and I am ridiculously lucky. She makes um, too much good food for my own good. And one thing that she cooks really well is ethnic food. One of my favorite new dishes she's done this fall is this Thai chicken curry. Like, it's sweet Thai curry. Um, if you've been to Mai Thai, they have a great chicken curry. Mai Thai has nothing on my wife. Um, I'm right now. Um, I planned that joke. <laughs> One thing she made two weeks ago that I was really excited about was an Indian chicken curry. Uh, it was a new one. It had tofu in it, and I'm really suspicious of tofu, but somehow she finds a way to make tofu even taste good. Um, anyway, she puts this tofu out of the table in our, in our Indian curry, and I'm so excited, and so is she, and we get sit down and eat it, and we both take one spoonful, and we're just like, eh, you know, we didn't know what was, we didn't know what was going on, it wasn't anything wrong with it, but it just wasn't very good, it didn't have much taste, and so we both just kind of like, eh, it just left us wanting more. And the reason I share that story is I think the way a lot of us feel about life is the way I felt about that Indian curry. Um, how do we feel about life? <laughs> you know? Sometimes we feel like we don't really know what's missing, but we know that what we have, we sure would like a little bit something else thrown in the pot. That can be a really hard thing that we deal, this, deal with in life. Um, we don't know what it is that we're missing, but we have this longing within us. There's this longing that's common to the hearts of all people, to live lives that feel complete and satisfied and fulfilled. And most of us desire a resolution of that longing. I hope if you have that within you, you do want to experience some resolution in that. Uh, so we spend our lives in search of it to a great extent. And for most people, that search more or less focuses on the self. And for good reason. Any number of things can allure us into thinking that they can provide what it is that we feel we're lacking. Uh, let's think about some of these things together. We think that if we can achieve a certain level of success, then we'd be fulfilled because whether it's academics or sports or art, there's this temptation that if we can just have a little bit more, uh, whatever it takes to get there, whatever it takes to succeed, if we could just achieve this uh, level of success that we so desire, then we would be fulfilled. And so we're willing to make any sacrifice, whether it's relationships, uh, family, friends, time with them. We'll make whatever sacrifice it takes in order to feel successful. Uh, or maybe it's this feeling that who we are and what we do is really significant. When we know the things that we do really matter, when we know that we're making a lasting impact, then we'll feel like we can actually relax. 
because then we'll know that we've made an impact on the world. And so we want people to look at us as competent, don't we? We want to be respected in our contribution to the group. And that's what we all desire. We feel like, man, if I could just have this reputation before my peers, then I'd be satisfied. And others of us, we look for fulfillment and pleasure. Maybe you found yourself thinking, if I could just experience the fullness of what the world has to offer, nothing holding me back, then I'd be happy. And so there are all these traps that we can fall into of believing that our hope is in something new or different or better, whether that's in an experience or in an object. Uh, our culture tells us constantly, if you don't like where your life is at, just make a change. Maybe that will give you what you've been longing for. That's our cultural attitude. Um, and think about the idolatry of material wealth. If I had a bigger house in a better neighborhood, or uh, this, is, this is mine, if I just had a fence in my backyard so I could let my dog outside in the winter and not have to stand with him when he had to use the bathroom, man, that would be the dream for me. Uh, if I could just have that, God, then I'd be fulfilled. I'm not an eighth grader, but my voice does crack. <laughs> if I could just have that, then I'd be fulfilled. Um, man, that is such a myth. I love this quote from the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. He says, gold is like seawater. The more one drinks of it, the thirstier one becomes. That's what all of our idols do to us. They never satisfy. So whether it's success or status or significance or pleasure or wealth, our idols, that's what they do to us. They slowly kill us as we look to them to provide what, they're never, what they will never be able to to provide. They'll never give us the fulfillment that we hope they will. You may remember this if you were around last year. We did a sermon series here at Connection on the wisdom books of the Old Testament. And one of the books we spent some time in was Ecclesiastes. Uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we read the story of King Solomon, one of the most powerful kings in the nation of Israel. Uh, and it tells his no-holds-barred attempt to find self-fulfillment in the things of this world. I want to read you some of this passage. This is Ecclesiastes 2. And I'm going to check and make sure it comes up on the screen. Because last week I kept pressing the clicker and then I realized I never left the first slide. Uh, so this is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. King Solomon writes, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit and trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed within me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took no delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. And so we see Solomon absolutely went for it in his pursuit of fulfillment in the things of this world. He, he had anything that the heart of a human being could desire, but did any of those things give him what he was after? 
What does he say? He says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So no amount of pleasure, laughter, or possessions, no status, no amount of significance, no amount of wine, no wealth <coughs> satisfied him. And let's be honest, if none of those things do it, what does? If there is anything that could be satisfying um, in the things of this world, Solomon gave it his best to find it there. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is dissatisfaction with life just something that we human beings need to accept? Solomon believed that real fulfillment was out there. He didn't believe that dissatisfaction was meant to be the way that we live our lives. Solomon says at the very end of this chapter in verse 25, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And so what Solomon learned the hard way, after years of vain pursuit and self-induced pain through trying to find fulfillment in things that would never provide it, is that people only find true fulfillment in living with God at the center of their lives. So we are not the center of our lives. We can't fulfill ourselves. Real and lasting fulfillment only comes when we take the focus off of ourselves and place God at the center of meaning in our lives. We have to orient our lives around God. And so what does that look like? And as we consider this here together tonight, we need to recognize we have a distinct advantage over Solomon in that we stand here today with the full revelation before us of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The path that leads to a fulfilling life is clear before us in Christ's teachings, and we're able to find the fulfillment we desire so badly through having faith in his life, death, and resurrection. The verse I want to focus on here is in John chapter 6. In the second half of John chapter 6, we read the story of Jesus' dialogue with his disciples shortly after he performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. You may be familiar with it. Jesus has just multiplied two fish and five loaves into enough food to feed 5,000 people. And so his disciples are absolutely amazed at what he's done. But Jesus kind of calls them on the carpet because their persistence to know more about that miracle is because it was a miracle that satisfied their appetites. Uh, they really liked this one because Jesus filled their stomachs. And so he tells them, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which I am able to give to you. And this, the disciples, they don't really get what he's talking about. Uh, they think he's talking about bread. And so they say, okay, what work do we need to do to get this food? And Jesus says to them, the work is this. Believe in the one God has sent. And the disciples are kind of hard-headed guys. Uh, they're still thinking about food. And so they respond, they respond uh, thinking they're being crafty and maybe they'll get some more bread. Well, what miraculous sign will you give us that we'll see it and believe you? Maybe some manna falling from the sky like happened with the Israelites when they were in the desert being led by Moses. These guys, they're not so dumb. Uh, Jesus' response to them next is really clear. He lets them know what he's talking about. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me 
will never be thirsty. And so he's saying that the bread that Israelites received in the desert, it wasn't a gift from Moses, it was a gift from God. And for as great as that bread was, the bread that fell from heaven for the Israelites in the wilderness was only foreshadowing God's ultimate provision to come. Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life. He followed that same trajectory from heaven to earth to be provision from God on their behalf. And more than just satisfying their stomachs, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, would satisfy the deepest spiritual need that they had, forgiveness of their sins, and he would satisfy the deepest longings of their hearts, the bread from heaven, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, says Jesus Christ. And so what he's telling them is that there is a hunger in the human heart that only he can satisfy. There is a thirst inside each and every one of us that only Jesus can quench. There's an emptiness in the human heart that only Jesus can fill. And that yearning for fulfillment in life, it's not just a random coincidence that we feel that way. It actually points us to the reality that we can only be fulfilled in Christ. I want to share a quote with you. This is from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He writes, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a, such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. He says, if that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else for which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. So what he is saying is that sense of longing for fulfillment within us. It's no accident. It's never something to be ignored because it points us to the truth that the things of this world will never be able to provide us with the ultimate fulfillment we desire because ultimate fulfillment is found in relationship with God through Christ. And the well-known philosopher, you may have heard of him, he's at Boston College, Peter Kreef. He's a believer and he put this concept into the form of a philosophical argument known as the argument from desire. And I cannot understand most philosophy, but this one I think is really helpful and pretty clear. So here are the three premises of the argument for desire. He says, every natural innate desire in us corresponds to some real object that can satisfy that desire. Two, but there exists in us a desire which nothing in time, nothing on earth, no creature can satisfy. And so his conclusion is therefore, there must be something more than time, earth, and creatures which can satisfy this desire, and this something is what people call God and life with God forever. So our longing for fulfillment in life is meant to point us to the one in whom it can actually be found. St. Augustine, he put it this way, You have made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. That's St. Augustine. 
And another story from the life of Jesus. In John chapter 4, he's talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. You may be familiar with this story. She's drawing water from the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And she's like, from me? Really? The reason she said that is because she was a Samaritan, and she could see that Jesus was a Jew. And the Samaritans were kind of the cultural outsiders. They were religious outsiders. And so for a Jew to ask her for a drink would have not been done in that time. And so Jesus asks her for a drink of water, and her response to him is, her response is from me. But then Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so she really thinks that he's actually talking about getting fresh water from the bottom of the well when he talks about living water. Um, because the water at the top could kind of sit stagnant, whereas the spring fed from the bottom up. And so she says, how are you going to do that? This well is really deep, and you don't have anything to draw it with. And so Jesus gives her a more clear picture of what he's talking about in verse 14. He says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be a spring welling up to eternal life. A spring welling up to eternal life. And so what I want to say tonight is... If you've trusted Jesus Christ in faith, like we've talked about throughout this series on identity, is that we are blessed in him with every spiritual blessing. And one of those blessings is that we are given life to the full. We have a well inside of us that is just a geyser of water welling up to eternal life. In Christ, we find fulfillment. That life is just leaping up inside of us. We have real life. We have real satisfaction in Jesus. And so we don't have to keep searching. What we found in Christ is like a man who found a hidden treasure in a field. And in his joy, after finding that treasure, he covered it up and went and sold everything he had so he could have that. That's what we have found in Christ, the ultimate satisfaction our hearts desire. He's the bread that eternally satisfies, the water that never leaves us thirsty. And so because he's worth everything to us, he fulfills us completely. We give it all to have him. And that is amazing truth. And if you've never before trusted Christ in faith, I want to invite you into this. Come to Jesus with the deepest longings in your heart, the longing for meaning, the longing for fulfillment in life. Reach out to him in faith. Trust him and follow him with all that you are and all that you have because only Jesus eternally satisfies. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, I want to talk to you as well. And I hope hearing... This good news reminds you of the gift that is yours, that satisfaction and fulfillment in life can be found, and that it is, it is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours already. The biggest challenge we're faced with as believers when it comes to thinking about our identity, and that's what we're doing in this Real Identity series here in these next few weeks, the biggest challenge for us isn't necessarily in understanding what our identity is in the first place. The challenge is in really believing it to be true and remembering it in the midst of the challenges of life, isn't it? Continually finding our fulfillment in Christ can be really hard because every single one of us goes through times where we feel like our view of who we are in Christ is it's just clouded. We go through struggles in remembering the truth. Have you ever found yourself thinking, I know that Jesus is really important in my life, but there's something else I need to get sorted in order to be fulfilled. I know I've certainly been there myself. We have these internal conversations where we kind of do an accounting of where we're at in our lives. You know, Jesus is a really big deal, but when I have that job, 
or when I meet that person, when I'm out of debt, or when I finish school. Guys, that was one for me. I still have nightmares that I have to pass one more math or science class before I can graduate. When I finish school, then I can be fulfilled, then I can be content. When I have deeper friendships, then I'll finally be fulfilled, I'll be satisfied. And don't get me wrong, all of those things are really good and really valuable things. They're all things worthy of our pursuit, but none of those things will ever be the one ultimate thing that we truly need to be fulfilled. And we make idols for ourselves when we look to good things to be ultimate things. Only Jesus satisfied, only Jesus satisfied the deepest longings of our hearts, and only he can satisfy them as we walk through life. And so we can't deceive ourselves into thinking that there are things we need in addition to Jesus Christ in order to be fulfilled. I love the way the theologian Thomas Merton summed this up. Listen to this quote from Thomas Merton. He says, everything has been given to us in Christ. All we need is to experience what we already possess. So what he's saying is, in Christ, we are complete. There's nothing that we lack. The secret to living lives of contentment, lives that reflect our ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, is remembering that everything has been given to us in Christ, and all that we need in the living out of our lives is to experience what we already possess. Christ is enough for us. We'll go through times of challenge and struggle in living out this truth. And I've struggled with this in my own life of faith. Something that was a big struggle for me was understanding how I could be fulfilled while I worked out the uncertainty and knowing what vocation God had called me to. The year after I went to college, I was a youth minister for a year, and I found myself really wrestling, feeling like that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, feeling like I was serving God with the gifts he'd given me. Uh, it was a real challenge, and from there I went and I did some college coaching. And the puzzle pieces in my life came together, but it was really frustrating to have to learn from these experiences where I felt like, man, I really stink at this, or I kind of like that, as God revealed his will in my life of what I should be doing vocationally. That can be a real challenge. And so finding fulfillment in my vocation, um, finding fulfillment in my faith, in the midst of sorting out that uncertainty was really hard. And I remember one particular time when I was looking for a new job after finishing my graduate assistantship. I was unemployed, and my wife was paying the bills. And I was like, God, not only do I not have a job right now, but I don't know what the heck I should be doing or what I even want to do. And I remember getting down on the, on the floor of my apartment, getting on my knees and literally crying out to God, like, God, I am doing everything I can to find fulfillment in life by finding it in myself, knowing that I'm doing something that's significant, something that my friends and peers will respect, feeling like I'm making a difference and what I'm offering to the world really matters. But God, it is only in you that I am what I am. Help me to put those things aside and to trust you. And man, that was really hard, but the burden that was lifted off my shoulders was absolutely immense. And uh, man, what a powerful moment for me to be able to give that to God. And I have to be honest with you, this is something that I'm continually having to do. This lesson isn't one that you learn once and then you're like, oh yep, got my fulfillment in Christ now, let's move on to the next thing. This is something that we have to live a life of faith and repentance in constantly. Um, this is something I'm struggling with right now. I love my job and I love the opportunity that I also have to do classes. And I take seminary classes part-time um, through a seminary called Gordon-Conwell down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I do it online and I travel down there once a semester. But 
So here I am, 21 credits into a 90 credit degree. And there are days when I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate school. Like, I gotta get this over with. This is driving me crazy, and I get so mad, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just wish I could get this done. Like, I'll never be able to enjoy anything in life until I can finish this degree. And uh, I'm like, wait a second, like, let's not look past all the blessings God has given me and the blessing that this education is to me and to see that I am fulfilled right now. It's okay for me to enjoy my life, even though there's something incomplete. It's just a struggle for me to find my fulfillment in Christ because there's so many things I can dupe myself into thinking I need before I can finally be content. Um, if any of you are performers, man, contentment, that's a dirty word. Because I have, these, uh, I have these coaches in the back of my mind telling me, oh, the moment you're content is the moment you've settled. You know what I'm talking about? People feed that to us, that you can't be content. There's a difference between contentment in Christ and contentment with the status quo. Man, we better try and do the best we can with the gifts God has given us to honor him. But does that mean that we can't be fulfilled until we've had resolution ever over every area of our lives where we so desire it? Man, that is not the truth. And so finding our fulfillment in Christ it is, a, it is a challenge. It is a lifelong walk of faith and repentance. But man, I hope you guys will take that on. Something that I've learned that I've found to be really helpful in this is the concept of preaching the gospel to ourselves. Um, you've probably heard me, that, heard me refer to that before. Uh, this is something that one of my pastors taught me to do. And what preaching the gospel to yourself is, is continually reminding yourself of the fact that all that we need in Christ we already have. Because it's really easy for us to forget how absolutely monumental the good news of what God has accomplished on our behalf in Jesus Christ is. The gospel is a paradigm shift from the world's way of thinking. And so we need to preach this truth to ourselves all the time, and we need to remind each other of it in the moments that we forget it. And so we mine this truth out in God's word. We need to commit ourselves to being in worship on a weekly basis where we can hear the good news proclaimed and we can sing back to God words of truth about what he's done for us. And so when our vision gets cloudy, let's be people who can encourage each other in the good news ourselves. And so I want to conclude by asking you a question. Is there anything that you're wrestling with right now that's holding you back from enjoying the fullness of the life that is yours in Jesus Christ? Please, Trust it to God and rely on Him to work in your life. He knows what you need. You can rest fulfilled in Him right now because of the sufficiency of Christ's work on your behalf. Even as you wait for His will and His provision in your life to unfold, you can be content in Christ right now. The gospel is big enough for all of life. That psalm that Ethan read for us at the beginning of the service uh, the reason I chose that is because it models a heart posture for us that I sure would love to adopt. Uh, this is King David writing. He says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that. What he's saying is when we humble ourselves before God, when we trust in his wisdom and provision, and we accept what he has done for us in Christ, when we accept that he is all that we need in the midst of our struggles 
in the midst of the challenges of our lives, then we'll be content. We'll be content because our souls will be still and quiet within us as we are satisfied in Him. And so we're going to respond here with a song of worship right after I pray uh, that I think is really powerful for us as we think about Christ being enough for us. So would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that in the deepest struggles of our hearts, in the deepest search for meaning and fulfillment and longing, there is an answer, God. Um, the answer is that we are people who are created for relationship with you. The things of this world were never, they were never meant to satisfy us. They were never meant to be enough. Even the best things, the things that we desire so much, good things, God, they were never meant to be the one ultimate thing that only you are. God, we thank you that you have made a way for us to experience life in you. You've made a way for us to experience relationship with you through Jesus. And I pray that we would turn from our idols towards you. God, that we would know that we are fulfilled in Christ. All that we have uh, is a gift from you, and all that we ever needed we already possess as a result of your grace in our lives. And God, I pray that you would remind us of the gospel. Help us to preach it to ourselves when our vision gets cloudy. Help us to encourage each other in it. And God, would your spirit work in our lives to give us the discipline we need to just mine out that truth in your word and to be people who live lives of worship so that we can remember the good news that is our just an absolute paradigm shift from the way that we think by default. But God, that good news, it changes everything about the way that we approach lives, our lives. And so I pray that um, if there's anyone here who's been struggling with this, that you would just write this good news on their heart, that they would know this good news is for them. And uh, we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.